This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Paul Q. Coldery, and you're listening to Whatever Nevermind. I'd like to welcome to the program uh, Paul Coldery or Paul Q Coldery or Col- Col- I did I just fucked it up didn't I It's Coldery No Coldery God damn you got it. See I got, I started mind fucking myself there One uh, one more inter- yeah one more introduction and I'll get it Coldery All right I'd like to welcome to the program uh, producer Paul Q Coldery uh, producer of the whole record that we're going to be talking about today Paul how are you this evening I'm good, and let me note at the beginning that I produced this album with Sean Slade. Right, I, was, I planned on getting into that a little bit, but uh, sure. But before we get into that, there is something heavy I need to hit you with. Uh, I think the people need to know, what does the Q stand for? Quick. My middle name is Quick. Quick? <laughs> I like the way you, you signed off your, on your email, PDQ or, or PQ, PQK. PQK, God, I'm, I'm just I'm all over the place today. Uh, I thought yeah. that was neat. So, so is it seriously, is that like a, a kind of a joke that you use professionally? No, it's my mother's maiden name. Uh, my grandfather was Dr. William J. Quick of Muncie, Indiana. It's truly quick. All right. Well, uh, do, you, do you record quickly? I do actually record pretty quickly. I'm certainly not known for taking too much time. All right. Well, before we get into the record that we're talking about today, tell us a little bit about, about your background then. I just heard uh, in the little pre-conversation that you have a little bit of a Minnesota tie and your parents are still living, I don't know, it sounds like about two miles from where I'm at right now. Um, what got you into music uh, and basically kind of eventually into production? Well, I played in bands in high school and uh, we were obsessed with rock music. And at that point, rock music was the culture, you know, so um, uh I was, you know, I studied things in school, but I was much more obsessed with trying how to uh, trying to figure out how to fix my bass guitar. And, you know, I'm kind of a tinkerer. So I was always I learned about electronics and I had a lot of I didn't do any recording really in high school. I didn't do much of that till I got even through college. But um, I was always playing in bands and it was kind of a social thing. And, you know, I was just always in that world and I kind of gravitated toward it. Um, the farther I got, the more it, I realized that producing and making records kind of combined everything I like to do. Well, 
technically anyway. So any schooling uh, did you go to, as far as that, or did you just kind of like kind of get in there and start uh, tinkering your way up the ladder? No, you don't really need to go to school to to learn rock and roll. <laughs> no, the Music recording part, part, the recording part. No, it's, uh, I, like I said, I had a technical background from the beginning, and it's it's not rocket science. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an intuitive art, and it's, uh, there's some technical stuff involved, but, you know, it's not that much different from driving a car, you know? You're driving an expensive, impressive piece of machinery, but you didn't, I didn't build it. You know, I just know how to drive it. All right. I, I think it's a little more complicated than driving a car. I get the analogy, though. Yeah, yeah. Flying a plane, let's say that. Flying a, flying a plane. All right, fair you enough. You know, because it's, yeah, it's something a normal person can't do, perhaps, unless you've done it. But, you know, you're going to, once you learn it, you know, the skills translate across different planes and, right. you know. All right. There you go. Uh, well, you mentioned you, you you played bass. Do you play any other other instruments? Uh, pr- I play a little bit of almost everything just because, you know, you end up doing this and that and the other thing, and I have instruments around the house. I, I like I like stringed instruments, and I like to play all kinds of different, especially weird ones like little four-string guitars and stuff. Um, but, you know, guitar basically, ba- bass professionally more than anything else. But Okay. Uh, and you mentioned that kind of, uh, you know, in the high school years, you're, you're focused on rock. Who are you like, who are the big artists for you as far as drawing you into music? Uh, well, you know, Get Your Yaya's Up by the Rolling Stones was huge. The first record I ever bought was Abbey Road, the, like the day it came out. So that kind of shows you what's going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, you know, not just classic rock. I mean, we... By by high school, you know, I was pretty much of a proto metal guy. You know, like uh, Deep Purple and Uriah Heep was his favorite. Grand Funk Railroad were pretty big in my my high school. The Almond Brothers, though, you know, liked them too. Okay. My high school band played a lot of Almond Brothers. Nice. It was fun. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Uh, um, as a producer, is there an artist that uh, who, well, who would be the artist that you never produced that you'd want to? Iggy Pop. Really? That was quick. You've you've apparently had that uh, lined up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sean and I used to get asked that, and we kind of always said that. And I think it's, I don't know if it's still true, because, you know, obviously, I don't know, I don't know what he feels like doing these days. But it, back in the day, there was the moment where, we, you know, like around the time Don Was made that album with him, with uh, Wild One and stuff, that was, you know, um, Brick by Brick, wasn't there one? Wasn't they called that? The one where he had a kind of a hit with Kate Pearson? Yeah. Um, I mean, he was he was a viable recording artist for, for quite a long time. So absolutely, know, yeah. We 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 tried, but you know, you can't always get you can't always get what you want. Mm, stones. <laughs> well, you you mentioned uh, Sean Slade there right at the beginning. Uh, so you guys did a lot of work together, correct? We did, and uh, we don't. He doesn't produce much anymore. He's a professor professor at Berkeley School of Music. And he tells kids about the wrong way to produce records, which is kind of the right way. But um, we were best friends in college, and we we got together after college and realized that we had a good we have a good combination of skill. We had a good combination of skills. There we go. Um, and uh, we were a good team. And it was it was a lot more fun to travel around together and uh, do things together than just going going your own, you know. 
Well, um, tell me a bit like how you ended up getting the the whole project. Then uh, was it something that they that you you kind of pursued or, or vice versa? Uh, no, um, I got a call one day from uh, Butch Vig's manager, and who I didn't know. Her name was Shannon, and she said uh, she said uh, I did I did your favor today, and I said uh, okay, and she, I said are you going to tell me what it is? And she said no, you'll <laughs> you'll find out. And uh, so they had had a meeting, you know, my understanding is Kurt and Courtney met with Butch Vig and his team, you know, about pro- producing Courtney's record, because obviously Butch had done so well for Nirvana. And uh, he said that he was, he had just, you know, finished something and he wanted to start a band, which I guess became garbage. Um, oh, okay. And, you know, he didn't want to do it. So or he begged off and... They said, well, who, who should do it then? And I think my understanding was he said, you should get the guys that did Creep, the Radiohead song, you know? Mm. And, uh, and Kurt said, oh, I like that song. <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out that the A&R, the Geffen A&R man was Mark Cates, who had been a Boston guy that we knew. And uh, he basically raised his hand and said, I know those guys. I can, I can call them up. And so uh, they, we did. And, you know, that wasn't, they, w- they didn't give us the job right then, but that's how we kind of got on the screen, that's you know? How the door was opened, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know, we had a conversation. We had a phone conversation with Courtney and some somebody else that was in the running and probably maybe had a little better position than us um, took, them, took themselves out of the picture um, in the negotiation process, I guess. You care to say so, who it was? Uh, no, I shouldn't say. Okay. It doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, you know, and so we ended up getting the job for those reasons, I guess. Um, you know, there was some discussion of how to, uh, um, we were trying to find the right kind of studio. And so we ended up down in Atlanta because they had the combination of gear that, um, that Courtney was looking for, Kurt and Courtney were looking for. And, they, uh, Butch had done uh, Siamese, not Siamese Dream, yeah, Siamese Dream, yeah. uh, down there in Atlanta, and so we, we that was the same studio. Uh, well, I guess that that clears that up. I was going to ask you how that was chosen, but that was largely because of, I get you mentioned gear, but like was the fact that Siamese Dream was recorded there was that was that did that did that actually play a role in the decision? Do you know? I think that Courtney was friends with Billy Corgan. Yeah, they're more he, than she, friends. <laughs> well, that's, that's not for me to say. Yeah. Uh, okay. And he, she called him up and said, you know, where, I want this, I want Neve, you know, she wanted a Neve console and student okay. which, which at the time were, you know, the, the like, the top of the line. And um, and this studio had it, you know, they had the they had the gear. It was a weird studio, but but that was okay. I guess that probably helped things in a way. Um, everybody, you know, I think she wanted everybody to be out of their element too. You know, they didn't, she didn't want to do it in Seattle. She didn't want to do it in Boston, you know, we, and so we were all, you know, in Atlanta where none of us really had, uh, any friends really. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, do, um, do you like that, that, that kind of setup, or you prefer something different? I mean, is that a, you, do you think that was a good decision? I guess is all I'm getting at. It was all right. Um, it makes you focus a little bit more. I mean, you know, obviously it, it's better if you're just 
you know, if you're just sort of away from home working on a record and you don't have to, you know, you're not seeing your friends, you don't have to feed your dog or whatever, you know, you can just kind of focus. I, w- I would get up and go running every day down by the Chattahoochee and uh, <laughs> kind of focused a little bit. You know, I mean, it it was it was fine. Um, Atlanta is a weird city and it's, you know, I, I drove around and checked it out a little bit. But when you're working on a record, a lot of times you're pretty much just working on a record. It's like being on an ocean voyage or something, you know. You're not really aware of your surroundings. There's not much around you. You're just on the boat with the same people every day, you know. Right. Did you ever, did you, uh, ever run into Alan Jackson around the Chattahoochee? Uh, he, I thought about him a lot, you know. <laughs> the, the interesting thing there is that um, I noticed that women would go, you know, jogging along the river in full makeup. You know, like, it's, it's Georgia. It's something that so. song made more sense, huh? Yeah, the whole thing exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I read about this shit uh, you know, too. <laughs> but uh, and you know we 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 didn't. I, I don't think we went out once. We'd go out to you know get a burger or something. But you know we were kind of out. The studios was out in this suburban area that really wasn't in the center of town either. So there wasn't much around. You couldn't walk anywhere. You had to get in your car and drive to Fud Records. You know. Yeah, I, I the the last is the greatest hot dog. <laughs> I I've never had their hot dog. I've always gone with the burger. Is it a good hot dog? You know, it's pretty good. It's kind of giant size. That, that now there's still one in Edina, which uh, you did not live yeah. in. Uh, that's the last one here in the Twin Cities. But uh, yeah, the, the last producer I talked to was Steve Albini, and and he produced in Utero. In uh, I don't know, are you familiar with where Cannon Falls is here in, in Minnesota? Oh, I'm sorry if you were talking. I'm not hearing nothing. Hey, how's that? That's good. Okay. It's that, this is what happens. I, you get to talk for a few minutes, and then it just drops you. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. So, no, it's not your fault. Okay. <laughs> um, I, all I was saying is, uh, I don't know how much of that you heard. I, I, I talked to Steve Albini, and, and they produced um, in utero in Cannon Falls, just outside the Twin Cities here uh, right. at, uh, at Pachyderm. Pachyderm. And, and and that is very much getting. I mean, that's not even really a suburb of of the metro here. So, uh, that well, was very much getting away from everything. Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, it's 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 all the same though. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean that that studio is still going, but not run by the same people. I think. Yeah, I think it even has a different name, but they ah, that I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it does, but they still have they kind of still like in the lobby or whatever. Kind of try to dress up some of the history of it. Sure. No, indeed. Um, no, Atlanta was, I don't remember too much about it, um, except that they had this weird deal where on Sunday you couldn't buy, you couldn't buy liquor, but on Sunday at midnight, it turns into Monday and you can. So people would, <laughs> people would be waiting in the parking lot for it to turn to midnight and so you could buy booze, you know, in the, in the grocery store and stuff. And my kind so, of town. Um. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Well, uh, as a producer, what? How do you approach stuff? Are you and Sean together? However, you want to produ- phrase that. But do, do you like to like get in there and kind of shape it and make a a record that represents you, or do you want to try to like craft something for the artist based on what they want? Well, I'll be specific about that record. Yeah. Um, you know, we heard some. There were some demos. I have no idea who did them, um, and they were great. Uh, I mean, you could hear instantly that um, they, they were great. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, okay. I was like, this is great. And uh, so we went to Seattle and hung out for a few days um, and did 
pre-production. You know, we went to the rehearsal studio. Courtney didn't go, but we went to the rehearsal studio with the band and kind of worked with the Patty and and uh, checked out what everyone kind of sounded like and what the gear was like and talked about how we're going to do it. And then um, we all met at the studio. We I think we had a day of rehearsal before the studio too, or maybe two. And uh, and then we went to the studio and just sort of set up and started playing as a band, which we normally do, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then you build on that, you know, replace things, build things, edit things up from there. Um, but you know, a band like that, they were a good band. You got to start with the with the with the band, you know. A lot of a lot of the stuff, you know. There's certainly some of Courtney's vocals that came from those live takes. Oh, you know, some, on the final album. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, like any, like any, any, a lot of rock things, they, you know, they happen the first time and then they don't necessarily happen. <laughs> I do know that. Yeah. For a while, you know, and uh, so you got to, you got to always try to capture anything you can and, and use it, you know, um, you know, something like a scream or something like that. It's, it's got to be spontaneous. It's got to be, it can't be like done, you know, after you do it 10 times, you know, you can't, it doesn't have the same vibe. So. You know, we try to get things on the first take if we can, or you know, use bits from that were good from it. You know, um, for sure. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times on the first take, there'll be something that's great, but then there'll be something that's crap. So you know, you just got to keep piling up the great things. <laughs> uh, uh, prepping for this, it dawned on me that I knew who Courtney Love was before I knew who Hole was, and largely because. Of you know, because Nirvana was just gigantic, and the fact that you know yep. Kurt and them were dating, engaged, and then married, and all that stuff. Um, the point I'm getting at is like, how familiar were you with Hole when you got hired for this? I had heard their first record um, that Kim Gordon, I think, produced, or Kim and like was the only her. Anyway, that the pretty on the inside, yeah. And I thought it was good, but and I didn't really, it didn't really occur to me that I could would do the next one. But I just remember thinking, like, you know, maybe that's just a little too messy, you know, uh, too punky, you know. And I think, you know, Nirvana kind of had the same thing, you know. They started out pretty wild and punky, and and they, they, you know, when they made Nevermind, I mean, Kurt said something like, you know, it sounds like Journey. <laughs> you know? I don't, I don't think him and I hear Journey the same way. Uh. But exactly, but. Um, but you know, it broke through to a lot of people, and I think that, I think that she realized after the first record that she needed to make a record that was cleaned up a little bit, a little bit, you know, not yeah. completely, but, but, you know, considerably from the first one. Now, now, Kurt does sing backup on a song or two or something like that. Was he in the studio a lot, or no? Okay, he he was on tour, Did and you... they had a break, um, and he came to visit for a couple days. Uh, after we had done, after we had done basic tracks, we had the drums. Okay. He had us play the tracks, and he said, "I love the drum sound. You know, it sounds good. I like what you're doing." But it was it was too soon to really judge the songs. And then she had him. There was a session where she had him attempt to sing some harmonies, but um, you could tell. I mean, people say, did, "Did Kurt write the songs?" But you know, he he didn't know them. You know, she took him. She took him into the room and said, "Sing along on this song." And he said, "I don't know this. I don't know it." You know, play it for me. And uh, so, you know, if he'd written them, I assume he would have known them. So, um, 
he there's a few little scraps of once again you know he did a few good things and we kept them and and kept him in there but um there was no real attempt to have him sing back up on the record or anything courtney was you have to understand she was very territorial about her band you know Mm -hmm. she wasn't gonna have kurt come and sing on on her record and steal the spotlight you know i mean any more than kurt was gonna have her sing back up on in utero you know so sure uh the the guitar player uh is it Eric Erlinson? Uh, he, yeah. I just don't know if I had his last name right there. It's very, uh, you know, I should know it because it's very Midwestern here, northern Midwest anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, he he mentioned uh, in an interview with Wispin Magazine some of the that Courtney brought a little bit of a competitive approach to the fact that she was recording a record and wanted to beat Nirvana Nevermind in a way, you know, in the competitive sense, I should say. So yeah, I don't I don't think anyone thought that was going to happen, but. She was un. She was clear. It was clear that she was trying to make a, you know, a record that would, that would be, uh, that people would hear. You yeah, know, okay. I'm not gonna say there was there were any sales goals, but you know, obviously, anytime you make a record, you want people to hear it, and that one, um, we managed to 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 make that happen. I think so. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely. Um... Now, I wasn't sure. I was going to bring it up, but I wasn't going to bring it up the whole uh, did Kurt write the songs thing. I mainly wanted to bring it up in the sense of like it's been debunked uh, pretty much oh, yeah. across the board. Because uh, that, that, that really is almost a mythos. And maybe we'll tie into it a little later that that comes with the timing of the release and, and, and some other stuff. But uh, yeah. Um, but back, back to the record a little a bit. And, and just, just one more question about Kurt then. So he was there for a couple of days. Did you have any, like, uh, I don't know, personal conversations with him or things? I mean, you mentioned he, he mentioned, talked about the record a little bit, but it being a little early. Uh, any memories is really all I'm getting at there. Sean bought him a pizza. <laughs> uh, what kind? Pepperoni. Just straight up pepperoni, cheese and sauce. But then he he has stomach problems, you know. So he ordered a pizza and he he took a bite or two, but he couldn't really eat it. But I think we were afraid to finish his pizza. <laughs> 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 like he, I don't know, what should we do? Um, yeah, we had conversations. You know, he a lot of guys in the studio. If you don't know each other that well, you can talk about the gear. You know, yeah. so we talked about this and that guitar and this and that buzz pedal and you know how did we mic the drums and you know stuff like that. He he was he was um very interested in our tech, and so we talked about them a bit. You know, we don't have particularly complicated techniques. I think in a way he was kind of he. I think he thought we would do we'd have more tricks. Mm. You know, um, and really the trick is just to be good. You know. That's he, the best trick. He doesn't seem like a guy who'd be a big gearhead, was he? Well, uh, not a. You know, he just was interested in what what our choices. Okay. Were, you know, um, he wasn't like a nerd. <laughs> but, <laughs> nerd. But uh, in fact, you know, I, I had you know you have this weird. It's sort of like an out of body experience. You know, I walked in the morning and there's at the time he was unarguably the biggest rock star in the world. Yeah. And uh, you know there he is. <laughs> so you got you know you got to just talk like a normal person. You got to put that aside and just just you know talk politics or anything. You know it was, it was uh, they were they were over in, touring in Europe and. He called during the mixing and wanted us to hold the phone up, and you know, it was, 
it, you remember it was 1993. Right. You know? So, no, no cell phones, no, you know, no computers, really. I mean, the, you know, the studio was completely analog. Um, you know, no, no computer mixing, no, no Pro Tools. I mean, um, in, in, parts of uh, Evermind were done on Pro Tools in a very, very sort of primitive Pro Tools setup, like relatively primitive. I don't mean to insult anybody. No, that would have been very early in Pro Tools like existence, correct? Yeah, and we, so we weren't on the on the whole record. We were not using it at all. So, you know. And that was the way you made records in 1993. So um, it was a different world. It really was. You know, like I said, we, we, we couldn't we couldn't send Kurt a mix on the Internet. We had to literally hold up the right. phone. <laughs> a landline, too, probably, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he was in Italy. So, you know, hmm. um, it was. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't I didn't mind it then. It was more it was a little more magical. You know, because not everyone knew how to do it. You know, um, it's like it's like you speak a certain kind of language, and you know now everyone speaks that language, and so it's not so special anymore. Yeah, I get it. I'm 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 recording you on a Pro Tools setup. If that uh, helps us, uh, oh no, a little I bit. use it. I'm 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 not. I'm not like Albini, you know. I'm not an, an analog purist at all. Oh no, I meant like, like literally, like I, you were saying anybody now can do it. You know what I mean? I've been... Well, yeah, everyone. Everyone does. I mean, more than anything now, I mix records by people who've recorded them at home and don't know how to finish them. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Courtney seems like someone who kind of like almost thrives in chaos. What was the band like in the studio? How did they interact with each other? I think that's a very good way to put it. Okay. What you said. <laughs> and, you know, it was genuinely chaotic that you didn't know who was going to show up when or what was going to happen or what kind of mood they were going to be in. But uh, by and large, we were used to that, you know. So it wasn't anything that I hadn't encountered with other people, um, you know. And they, I think that Courtney respected us, us enough to know that, you know, if we were going to be the people that made the record, she couldn't really mess with us too much, you know. You sure? Um, she left us alone and let us do things. And if she didn't like Oh, so, she, so you're saying the drama was largely internally with the band and not not directed at, at you guys, uh, you and Sean. Correct. Okay. I would say that's correct. Um, you know, that they had, uh, various kinds of volatile relationships and, uh, and that, you know, everyone had good days and bad days, but we, like I said, I mean, I've all rock bands are like that really. So, yeah. um, you know, it wasn't like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? This so-and-so is in a bad mood. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's fine. You know, and that's that's another thing where it helps to be there. There were two of us, um, me and Sean, because uh, you know you need you need a, you need an ally. If it's just you against the band, that's a little tougher. That's a good point. I never thought about that. Yeah, there are, there aren't a lot of production duos. The one off the top of my head is Kenny Kurdner and Richie Wise, because they produced a couple of Kiss records. I'm not sure how much they carried it on after that. Yeah, that was more of an old school thing. The, the closest analog to what we were doing were those guys, Rothrock and Schnapps. Oh, um, Rob Schnapps still in, he's in L.A. Uh, you know, they had a team, and they did various. They did some great records, um, and I got to know uh, Rob a little bit when I was working on a record out in L.A. at a studio right next to his, and 
you know, good guy. He had a lot of similar experiences to me along the road. So cool. Um, but there, you know, there, there were some, there were some teams like that. Um, I thought we, one of the reasons we did it though, was just to be a little different, I think. Well, is there any type of blow up within the band that we can like in the sense of like, I'm not looking so much for dirt, more the kind of uh, story that like we can laugh about it now kind of moment. Was there anything like that where it seemed really serious, but it was something really stupid that blew out of proportion? No, I don't, I don't think there's anything really like, I don't really have any good fight stories. Mm. Um, you know, it's, uh, one thing I will say was that um, Kristen, who played bass, was a fantastic musician, and I thought it was really a shame that she wasn't able to uh, continue with the band because of overdosing. And uh, right. I don't know much about what happened there, but um, she was someone who had a hard time in that environment. Um, she wasn't the toughest skinned person. And uh, so I thought it was a real shame what happened to her because she was really talented and makes that she's one of the people that made that record great well let me just do a blanket question then um look we know courtney and uh, kurt's deal with 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 certain drugs were drugs an issue while recording this at all no no like i said all rock bands have various you know issues in that area okay and uh you know it's it's just something you got to deal with. Like you said, what's our mood today? Is it, <laughs> is it good? Is it bad? Is it hungover? Is it, you know, uh, but one, one of the things, like you said, like we said about being in a foreign city, uh, you know, nobody was getting, I was getting into too much trouble that I, that I could see, you know, hmm. so, um, <laughs> uh, nobody uh, was, uh, getting crazy at FUD records. No, they, I don't know. You know, I mean, we never, we only went out to eat with Courtney maybe one time hmm. and it, that was kind of a, that was kind of nutty. Oh, so, tell me a little bit about oh, that. Come on. You just give me some little story there. I'm not, I'm not really looking for dirt, just something kind of fun. Uh, well, you know, if she wanted to order something, she would just, you know, yell at the waitress and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, um, I remember, uh, we were in this restaurant, like a kind of a rock cafe sort of restaurant. Okay. And uh, In Utero had just come out, right? So they were playing Heart Shaped Box on the radio in the in the in the studio. In the, I'm sorry, in the restaurant. And uh, she jumped up and yelled, "Albini on the radio! It's Albini on the radio!" <laughs> so, um, you know, and I'm sure a bunch of people looked up and said, "What the hell does that mean?" You know, and who is this? <laughs> but, you know, um, so we didn't, I don't remember going out much. Okay. You know, we pretty much would, you know, they'd go home and we'd stay late and work at the studio. So, A couple questions about Courtney as a, a musician in some of your working with. And um, I, I only really ask this for my own personal taste. I think the answer's got to be yes, but she actually plays on the record as far as a guitar? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean she's, not, not, she's not known as a great guitar player, but there are her songs, and so a lot of times you what you hear is her starting the song, kind of like kicking it off, like like the beginning of a song would be her, and then it, and then other things would come in in the song and take over. But I'm I'm not sure she's playing guitar on every song, okay? But most of them, I think. 
Was it easy to get a good vocal from her, or was it something that was kind of like? Because you said you you kind of pieced in some crap from the demos and stuff. Well, like I said, a good screen is is precious. You know, um, uh, we did we did a lot of takes, but uh, again, you know, like I, I went to I went to a Linda Ronset studio uh, session, uh, and they, you know, she did twenty four takes of a vocal on a you know on a song, you know, twenty two <laughs> okay. takes, and you know, I don't know if they were all good or if some were good, but they had a they had a careful map of all the things that you know this word from here, this word from there, this word from there. So, you know, we were we were determined to get really good vocals and so if we didn't have something we went back and did it again you know we didn't just on, on that record for sure we didn't say like all right that's good enough or we don't have time you know and, and she was like like wasn't like fuck you or anything like that she's like okay let's do it again sometimes okay sometimes she was okay <laughs> again you know it's, it's, you got to choose the right time to say to say hey you know can you just go do one more of that of those you know just we there's a couple of lines we like to get, you know. And uh, we didn't, you know, it wasn't a trick. We were just basically like, we got a couple of things we don't, we don't feel like we have. Right, yet, no. Know? And she didn't, she, again, like, she kind of trusted us. Like, if we said we didn't have it, she didn't go, let me hear all the choices and I'll decide that. You know, she, she was, all right, that was fair cool. enough. That, that was cool, you know, like, she would say, like, okay, you tell me, I don't want to, I don't want to listen to everything, <laughs> you know. What about as an individual who's definitely the artistic vision for everything, and, and of course a very domineering presence? Uh, what was she like to work with? Was it easy to to communicate with her back and forth? Like when she wanted to make a point to you, was it was was it a lot of give and take, or, or how? Did, what was the relationship like there? Is what I'm getting at. Um, it wasn't bad, you know. Um, she would change things up sometimes. You know, like she, we'd be going along, and she'd say, "No, no, wait, wait, I don't want to do it that way." You know, um, and sometimes that would cause us to have to, you know, re redo something, or, you know, um, but generally, she would only do that if it, it, it. She generally did make it better. Okay. You know, like so, and that's something that Sean really believed in. I know is like if you know if you're gonna make if you're gonna change something, it's got to be better. You know, he can't just change it because you change your mind. <laughs> so, but but we, I think she realized that we, if if we, you know, if we could agree that something was better and there's a better way to do it, that we would do it and not grumble about it or anything. You know, we didn't get mad because we had to do something over. Um, and you know, uh, sometimes we try something and we agree that it wasn't better and we go back to the old way. So, uh, you know, she wasn't unfair about stuff like that. She didn't order us around or, you know, and we, we tried to listen and be good producers, you know, that's what being a good producer is. You know, you, you, you don't, it's not your vision. You know, you're trying to get this person's vision out, you know, so that was well, our job. I, I assume you are two different kind of people where there are times where it was like, this is more for you to talk to Courtney, Sean versus times where it was like, this is the kind of thing that Paul will talk to Courtney on. Oh yeah, maybe we were almost or anybody there. in the band. We were almost always there together. Okay, um, you know, I mean, I, as far as our team with me and Shauna, you know, I was probably a little bit more handling the engineering, you know, and he would handle the arrangement type of thing, you know. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, there'd be engine. There might be a sound question that would sort of be to me, and if there was an arrangement question, that might be more to Sean. You know, everybody was kind of there you burnt go. out at the end of that, at the end of that stint, you know. So after that, there was some mixing. Scott Litt did some mixes, and 
I think um, Jay Mascus. Yeah, that's the Dinosaur Junior guy, right? Yeah. What yeah. the hell? How did is that his thing? Does, was he just like this great mixer or something? No, the guy who actually the engineer was Tim O'Hare, who was another one of the Fort Apache guys. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, I'm not sure why she wanted him to do it. Um, it was funny because we got that mix that, that came in very late, and we we literally like flew to the airport. We we drove to the airport. It was the day that we were going to master the record with Bob Ludwig up in Portland, Maine. And so we're in Boston. We drive to the airport. We meet Tim, who's flying wherever the hell they did that mix. I don't remember where that was. And uh, so he handed us the mix on tape. And we got in the car and we drove up to Portland. Um, Sean and I drove up to Portland through this unbelievable thunderstorm. It was just raging, crazy. We're looking at each other like, are we going to make it? And uh, we got up there and the, the sun was shining and we mastered the record. And we hadn't even heard the mix when we, when we gave it to to bob you know so yikes do you prefer to have someone else mix the record that that always seems odd to me that a producer wants to step out but you're not the first person who's done that obviously yeah i've been on all sides of it i've been the guy who had his record given to someone else and i've been the guy who's had someone else's record given to him you know it's just a, it's just a job sometimes the a and r people like to have control so they divide the job up into different people so they yeah. can control who gets what part of the job <laughs> and and, and it all has to go through them. That happens. Um, in this case, was, that really wasn't Mark's thing. I think um, Sean, I mean, uh, I think Kurt and Courtney, you know, Scott Litt had mixed some things on In Utero uh, and they liked his work. So, you know, okay. he, he did a good job and, you know, and okay. he... Yeah, they they asked. I mean, they had asked him to do a number of songs, and I think there was a, a, some of them, in particular, doll parts, where he said, "No, I don't want to mix that. That the mix they did is good." Nice. So, um, yeah, it was in a way like I, you'd be hard pressed to tell which mixes are his. It's all kind of one thing. I do I think always, it's kind of a um, a consistent sounding record. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's just because of the way we recorded it. You know. There wasn't much, and there wasn't a lot of trickery in the mixing. You know, it's, it was just mixed the way it was recorded. So, um, and you know, Scott wasn't a guy who was he. You know, he was a pretty straightforward mixer too, much the same way that we were. So, hmm. um, I think it just made him feel better. Like they just weren't sure. You know, by sure. the end of the by the end of the mixing in Atlanta, everybody was just kind of frazzled. And I think, you know, there was some. You know, why not? Try, let's try some, having someone else mix it. You know. Okay. I think we I, I think we went back and even did some more back up in Boston. I can't remember. Um, but um, it, there was a sort of an amorphous period there when it all sort of came together. And like I said, the last mix on the record came in the day before mastering, which is literally the, the last minute. So mm-hmm. you know. yeah, right. That's the last stage. So uh, yeah. Well, of course, um, Paul. The record is released just about a week after Kurt's suicide, which is not something I, look it just couldn't be you can't really pre-plan that unless you believe some of the uh um no. the, the mythology there but was there to your knowledge i guess is the best way to put this was was there any talk of delaying the release uh, i wasn't involved in anything like that you know okay. that's that's geffen i kind of you know. figured you know I mean, at that point you know it's you're you've already kind of you know walked away from the project and turned your thought of our hands yeah we were doing something else by then um, um but i you know i mean i I know Mark and I, I've never really even asked him that question. I, I don't think they, I don't think there was any 
I don't know. I don't think th- I. I never heard anybody say, "Oh, you know, we wanted to postpone it or anything." I think they just went ahead and put it out. I don't know if they thought it was going to work for them. It might have been you know? too late. Yeah, I mean, yeah, these things might have been in boxes on, you know, shit yeah, because exactly. record stores get these things a little bit early. But um, yeah, a week, a week out means it's on the trucks, you know, heading to, yeah. you know, they, they can't they can't really. There's no reason to stop it. And then almost unintendedly, the album title takes on a whole new uh, meaning, which was never intended. Like I said, unintendedly. Um, I think that yeah. adds into some of the, you know, <laughs> I don't know, just the, the, the not. You know, let me just. The, have you have you have you seen or you had to have heard of it? Have you seen the docudrama about the whole theory that that Courtney had uh, Kurt killed? It's well, the one that's called Kurt and Courtney or something. Something like that. I mean, I, I've seen it. I can't remember the name of it. I'm sorry that um, I, I'm kind of bringing it up because we're, we're at the stage here. But so I, I didn't really prepare for that question. But I, I did watch it. But you know, it's it's a very uh, well, it's a very one sided deal. But yeah. They don't, I don't know, you know, I, I, I really know nothing about it. Well, again, like we were out, completely out of the picture. You, you, so you never saw the movies all I'm asking. I've seen the movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> only because people are going to be upset if I brought up and didn't ask, do you think, Kurt, <laughs> I can't even believe it. You don't, you don't think she had him killed, do you? I, I just have no comment, you know? Fair enough. I, I can't, I just... I cannot. I have. I know nothing about that. It's so speculative. No. I. I just. Uh, <laughs> all right. Moving on. Uh, wh- how about this? What do you think about the record? Looking back, is it uh, like as far as your career? You, you, what do you? How do you look at it? I think it's a good example of uh, what I, I. To me, there's a sort of a Zen thing about recording. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in order to in order to win, you must lose. You must give up. And then you then you can truly be victorious. Wow! And uh, it happened with Radiohead on their second record. Um, you know they had tried and tried and tried to make this over and over again, and they tried to mix it. And they, you know, they got to the point where they were just, you know, Ed told me they were just defeated. They just they said this record has has ruined us. It's it's finished us. And Somebody said, "Well, why don't you send some mixes? You know, why don't you send some songs over to America?" And you know, then we started hitting them one by one, and all of a sudden things turned around. You know, because they they got outside their thing, but they they had truly they had given up. They were, and so I was like that with this record. At the end of it, I was so um, I was beaten by the whole process, and I I, I we got ourselves home and. I walked into my apartment and my girlfriend said, well, how's the record? What's going on? How is it? Said, I don't know here. And I threw her a cassette um, and she drove to work and she came back from work and she said, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it is? Because I really didn't, I didn't think it was bad. I just didn't know. I just felt like, I don't know if this is even good. You know, like I really don't know. Like and, you're just too involved in it to really separate yourself from like how good it might be. It's happened, like I said, it's happened several times in my career. Luck, luckily for me, in a way, like cause you, you get into something and you do it, and you're just completely in the moment of doing it, and you're not saying like this is going to be great or this is going to be the first single or, you know, um, we just we just did the best we could, and we felt like, man, did I do? I hope I did everything I could do. You know, did I leave it all out there? And then all of a sudden things started turning around. You know, um, hmm. I went to 
uh, the year it came out, I went to a Halloween party out in Provincetown. Uh, and I was in a bar with, you know, 250 or 300 lesbians mostly. And, uh, <laughs> and they, were, they, played, they played Violet on the bar on oh. the, over the sound system, which was a good sound system in this bar. And when they got to the, to the end of the first line, the whole, everybody in the bar started sc- screamed along with that line, you should learn how to say no, like the entire bar. And I, I turned around and looked at the people I was with, and I was like, wow, <laughs> you know. That had to the, feel good, man. That's what I mean. It's like when you, when you, that's true success in the music producing world is if you punch something into culture mm-hmm. so that people take a record and make it part of their life. And so uh, if, you know, what I think about that record is pretty much the same now is that, you know, it's had a, it's got legs, you know, cause it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a true record, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a real rock record. I think I, and I, you know, I, I'm proud of it and uh, I'm glad that people still listen to it. Well, I'll pat you on the back a little bit uh, on, on, from a production standpoint, especially, it has aged masterfully. It sounds yeah. as good then as it, I mean it. It would hold up now, like uh, that, so. Well done is all I'm getting at. Well, it's the number four best grunge record of all time. Yeah, so. now that is very that that is one thing. Like going through this, that people have like uh, that is one of the most debatable positions on this list, yeah. uh, and. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really. I was. I was not a fan. I, I really only dug into this record for this list, um, right. and it, it really changed my opinion of Courtney um, because yeah. you know I didn't, let's just say I didn't have a very positive view. But now I at least kind of have a little more respect for her. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Going through this uh, and, and talking to you has only kind of backed that up. So I, I really appreciate that. But everybody seems to think that yeah they get this this album belongs on the list they just think four might be a little high what do you do you you think four is the proper spot well are you by are you too biased to judge i don't know you know honestly i've had you know it's been on a lot of lists Mm -hmm. and it's been in different positions on the list and i i think you know these lists all reflect the the prejudices of the well and they're kind of clickbaity too at times you know yeah i mean you know is is okay computer the greatest rock record of all time well it's pretty good you know i don't know (laughs) certainly nirvana is going to be number one on the list and pearl jam has to be number two um i thought soundgarden at number three was kind of an odder choice than hole at number four really that's a hot take you know what is grunge? You know, that's the thing. Like, is 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 live through this really grunge? I I guess it is. In a way, like you'd rate it lower just because it isn't really a true, you know. Hmm. I mean, it's not like a Monster Magnet record, or you know, or a Mud Honey record, or you know. I, I don't know. Well, so, I actually have an explanation for that. If you like to have, they, like, like to me, grunge is like what you're talking about that that kind of mud honey, um, almost Melvin's kind of thing. But the fact of the matter is that when Nirvana broke out of the grunge scene, because I don't even think Nirvana necessarily could be, they, you, you can make the argument that they weren't really grunge either. 
But yeah. the grunge in Seattle were all definitely tied together, and that whole scene was. And when right. that blew up, it had a spillover kind of umbrella effect, and that definitely helped bands like Hole, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, yeah. the handful of bands on this list that aren't from Seattle, were yeah. all drawn in because of that, that you could argue aren't grunge. Screaming Trees sound kind of more classic rock, but the fact of the yeah. matter is, Unlike any other scene that that had this kind of diverse thing, the the one core element drew in a lot of things that that it helped bands like Belly, who you produced. You know, what I mean, the Lemonheads. I think that the people making this list, they've, they've got to be a little bit PC. You know, like yeah. they got to get a woman in there, and you know who who's going to make the top ten? You know, like from you know, it it's politically it makes sense to put it where it is. I guess I don't know. Um, I think that the, that one thing about Live Through This is it's kind of been coming on strong. Like r- recently, like last year or something, Pitchfork gave it a posthumous 10. You know, I mean, who, who, what what gets a 10 from Pitchfork? <laughs> you know, if Jesus Christ came back and made a record, he probably would get a 9.2. Uh, a, a few weeks back, when I, I, I first you, when I knew this record was coming up, before I even reached out to you, and I so I got to sit down and listen to this. I looked at the song list and I thought "Doll Parts" was the only song I knew, yeah. and the first three tracks, I'm like, I know all these songs by heart. So I was like, yeah. I, I had totally kind of forgotten how much of this album actually permeated what was going on at the time. So, yeah, well, like I said, that that's always our goal, and and to achieve that is you know. Um, is is uh, what I'm I'm striving for always, and it still am, but it's harder than ever. <laughs> and and again, I, I wanted to echo from a production standpoint. I love the drum sound too. Uh, I, I think uh, look that everything starts there with production. I think from yep, um, uh, that's true. And uh, man, uh, you get a good drum sound because you can hear everything, and it's, it's it's nice. And the performance is you know great takes and all that stuff. So yeah, well, that's a little shout out to our drum tech, Carl Flaster. Oh, nice uh, for that one. He's he was someone who was there throughout all our, our golden era and did, always did a great job. Very dedicated and very talented. Do you have any nerdy techniques you'd like to share as far as like uh, uh, you know recording drums or you just just take it different each time? Uh, you know, it's it really depends on the drummer. You know, uh, it's how they play and how they set up and how many how many drums they use and you know. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's not um, drums are actually not as hard to record as people think. I, hmm. I think that the hardest thing to do is to get great vocals. You know, <laughs> okay. Not not so much sonically as just something that you know. Like, can you get something that people want to listen to? I know what you're saying there, man. Yeah. Um, well, how about this? Do you have any favorite tracks? Looking back. Um, doll parts because that was the when I heard that demo, I. It, you know, again, it's happened to me a few times in my life where someone played me a demo and I was just like bowled over. I just was like, wait a minute, I got to make that record. You know, I want to make that record. And uh, and we did. And it came out great. And there's some cool things about it. One thing that's cool nerd wise about that song is that at the end, when the song lifts up, it's actually cut in from a different take and we were using a different snare drum. And you can hear the difference, but it works like it's something that I wouldn't have planned. Hmm. But it works really well, and I've done it again since. You know, where you you switch drums, you know, you don't the the same drums are not from the beginning to the end of the track, you know. And uh, I've never heard that before. That's amazing. And uh, it just I just cut the where I cut it, you know, um, 
it just lifted it up and it was a it was a it was something that um it was a happy accident and, and, this, and this is pre pro tools again so you're actually out there with a the little piece of chalk and the razor blade uh, yeah, grease pencil and a razor blade. Grease pencil. I'm sorry. Uh, I still, by the way, I, I I've seen it done. I cannot believe how. But I I I need somebody to sit down with me and go. Here we go. We're going to do it. I have to see it. I just I don't get it. Well, it's. I mean, it's just splicing tape. I was good at it. I, that was one of my big skills. Clearly. Well, that's because it, it allows you to be creative because you you can. You don't have to have one perfect take from beginning to end. You can, once the band figures out that they can do the ending, just the end, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> that's like a big deal. Well, Paul, you have been amazing. The, the stories you, you shared have been great. I really appreciate your time. I'm, I'm glad uh, you, you agreed to do this. You, you've definitely been an asset to everything we're doing here. Is there anything you need to plug as far as what you're doing? You're still recording people, right? Yes, I do a lot of mixing um, here at my home and, uh, just mixed the Jayhawks record that was actually recorded at Ooh, another Minnesota band. Yep, and uh, Gar- Gary Lewis's uh, solo record is about to come out. I actually just heard a test pressing of that today, and it's great. I recommend it. So I'll plug that for you. Right. Nice. Well, for me, I don't. I don't have any points on it, but it's a great record. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks a lot for your time, um, and I appreciate it. You have a good night. You too. Pronunciation of your last name is it Coldery? Am I getting that right? Coldery. Coldery. Okay. I just I want to get it right. Fair enough. It's been, you know, I'm dealing with that my whole life. So. <laughs>